0: This, this past weekend, um, yesterday, I uh, was able to be at Christine, my wife, her aunt's memorial service. Um, she was diagnosed with cancer about five years ago and had a, a really tough, really tough fight um, and died this past month. And I was reminded, it's so easy to see in those scenarios where we're where face-to-face with... Disease and tragedy and death. How sorrowful, how sorrowful it is. When we see death, we know this is is not the way things ought to be. It points us to something better and greater. And this weekend for me, being reminded of the hope we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope in the resurrection the hope we have for a future, the hope we have because God came and he came as a little baby. He grew up, lived a perfect life, died for our sins and rose from the dead. It changes the way we think about the most significant events in our lives and it certainly changes the way we think about death. And over the period of a few weeks here, we're just getting into what is the gospel? How does it affect our lives? We're meditating on it. On it. And I, I hope that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, will learn how to effectively speak the truth in love and communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that, that so badly needs to hear. I want to uh, start out tonight and go to our definition, how, how we're defining the gospel we talked about this a lot. I mean, most of the message last week, and this definition comes from the, beginning, the very beginning of the book of Mark and 1 Corinthians 15, through through five. Let's go there. The gospel is the true story of Jesus' identity as Messiah and Lord, his death on a cross as the sacrificial offering for the sins of mankind, and his bodily resurrection from the dead. This is the story and the message that has changed everything. And in Romans 1.16, we hear Paul writing, saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to, to the Gentile. The gospel is powerful. It is awesome. And it is changing lives. And even in this community right now, there's some here who just in the last week have confessed Jesus as Lord and become followers of Christ." who've been brought into the family of God. And uh, I've had the privilege of of talking with some of you guys who've who've made that decision by the grace of God. And it is so awesome and so wonderful to see what the Lord is doing in the lives of so many here, even now, even as we speak, by the power of the gospel. He changes us. He transforms us. And he gives us tremendous hope and new life. The gospel is bearing fruit in our midst. Do not think for one moment that the gospel is dead. Even in our hardened culture, do not think for one moment that the gospel is not powerful, that God does not care about individuals who are broken and separated from him. He does. He does, and he is moving, and he is working, and he is doing things that we cannot do, certainly on our own strength. Let me pray here before we uh, keep keep getting, getting into things. Let's take a step back. I do believe tonight and through this series, God has some things that he wants us to recognize and embrace and grow in, in some ways that he wants to equip us for the work of the gospel. I hope you believe that too. I hope you believe that through this time, that God will equip you to do good works, to serve him, and to do things that you, you really could not do on your own strength. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we, do, we pray that you would equip us, God. pray that you would help us to know you and to love you, God. pray that you'd use this time tonight of uh, equipping and meditating on your word, Lord, that you would challenge and change us. Um, God, and we thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much for what Jesus has done. We could not do on our own, Lord. We could never do on our own, pray that you'd give us hearts that are open to your word, God, and hearts, hearts that are open to your invitation and to your calling, God. Pray that you'd give us sharp minds tonight, Lord, that we would engage with you, Lord. We would engage with one another tonight as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just remind you again, we've got baptism. We've got uh, one person getting baptized tonight, at least, um, yeah, baptism is such an awesome time celebrating and seeing what God is doing in our lives. As soon as this message is over, if you want to take the step, step of baptism, if you belong to Jesus and, and you've not stepped forward in baptism yet, you can do that tonight. There's not a lot of red tape to jump through at Awaken. Baptism is not what saves us. It's an expression of what's already happened in our lives internally as we've confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in him and been born into his family so if that's a desire for you tonight, you can, you can talk to me right after the message, and um, we'll, we'll get you going with that. We got some extra clothes here, too, and towels and, and all that jazz. Um, okay, so aside from our personal response to the gospel, which we talked about last week, how ought we respond as Christians to the preeminence of the gospel? We looked at passage after passage after passage. Some of you are probably struggling to stay with me. We just went through you know, about a million verses, it seemed like, about the gospel, how huge this idea is. Jesus talks about it so much. Uh, the rest of the New Testament talks about it as well. We, we hear about it and read about it in the Old Testament many, many times as well. So how ought we respond as followers of Christ to the preeminence of the gospel in the scriptures? I think there's, there's one place that my mind goes first. And it's a verse that many of you here have, have heard. Um, I hope and pray that this command from Jesus never, ever becomes white noise to us. Now, I know for some of you, this is fresh. For many, it's not. But I hope this never becomes white noise to us because in every season of life, we have to re-engage with the commands of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I was in, in my 20s a long time ago, Or in my teens, I want to follow you now. I want to follow you in my mid-30s, and I want to be obedient to your call in this new stage of life I'm I'm in. And I think that's where some of us are likely at. But this passage I'm referring to is called the Great Commission, and it's the, the end of the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus has suffered on the cross and died and was buried and was raised and appeared to his disciples and to others, this is right as he's about to ascend into heaven after this period of 40 days with his followers, 40 days of his appearances. Jesus came to them and said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Because of that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the gospel work that the disciples were called to to go and make disciples, to go make people who become followers of Jesus Christ, who, like we talked about last week, confess Him and Him alone as Lord and Messiah put their trust and their belief in him. This is the, the gospel work to go and make disciples. I don't believe there's a difference between being a Christian, being born again, and being a disciple of Jesus. Those are terms that are synonymous. They're one and the same. To make disciples is to communicate the gospel and invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ by his, through faith, by his grace. Now, I want to tell a brief story here. Um, I I thought about sharing the video, but for time's sake, there's a man named Herschel Martindale. And maybe some have heard of that man in here, and and, and most probably have not. Herschel just turned 90 recently. He reminds me a lot of Winnie the Pooh, um, a 90 year old Winnie the Pooh. Herschel, when he speaks, literally does not move, he's got a little bit of a belly so he just rests the Bible right on it like this. That's his podium. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there myself. I'm working on it, but I've not quite reached that point yet. Anyways, Herschel was a key, key person uh, in the 1970s when the movement that Awakened Church is part of, Great Commission Churches, uh, was getting off the ground and God was doing so much and many people were coming to know him. And this is a very exciting time, not just in Great Commission, but in the church in uh, the U.S. Lots of incredible things were happening. The spirit was moving, revival was, uh, was occurring. And Herschel had this experience. He was a pastor at the time. He loved, he loved God. He believed in the Bible. Um, but he often talks about this foundational moment And he was at a conference with a gentleman named Bill Bright. Bill Bright is the guy who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, otherwise known as CRU nowadays. And Bill got together with just a few of the men at the conference, and he asked them two very simple questions related to the Great Commission. The first question is this, and he asked this question to Herschel. He said, do you really believe that God wants to see the gospel shared with every person in this generation. Do you really believe that? That God wants to see the gospel shared with every person in this generation? And Herschel, with hesitation, thinking, I guess I kind of have to answer yes. I don't know if I really believe that. I certainly don't really feel that it's possible or that it's probable. But theologically, I think I have to say yes, that he does desire to see every person hear the gospel. And here's the second question. If all Christians were doing what you're doing, would the world be reached with the gospel in this generation? If all Christians were doing what you were doing, would the world be reached with the gospel in this generation? This question brought Herschel to tears. He just... I don't think he remembers how he answered the question. He just left the place and found some field and and fell on his knees and cried out to the Lord and and said, God, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And it changed his life, his response to that simple question. And for me personally, it's impacted my life as well. As those that have been impacted by Herschel have impacted me and helped to lead me to Christ. Every generation needs to grapple with the Great Commission. Every single generation. Believers of every generation must commit to obedience to Jesus' command here, to bring the gospel to every tribe and every tongue, to make disciples of all nations. Every generation is another opportunity to see the Great Commission fulfilled in every nation reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every generation is another opportunity for the gospel to be lost. If every believer were doing what you are doing, would the world be reached with the gospel in this generation? I pose that question to you. Not to be taken literally. If literally every believer were doing exactly what you're doing, We would need a much bigger room. (laughs) We'd have over a billion people in this room. But hear the spirit of the question. If every believer, utilizing their particular gift from God in the way that they were designed to serve him, if they were engaged in gospel work in the way that you are, would the world be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ in this generation? I believe that's a question that we ought to as individuals grapple with. Now, There's a promise in Jesus' command in the Great Commission that we cannot lose sight of and forget. Because we are not just tools to be used for evangelism, to be used in the hand of God. He promises as we live out the Great Commission, as we make disciples, to be with us. When we engage in obedience to the Great Commission, when we decide, I want to be that person, I want to be that person that says yes to Jesus. We get to join with him. This is something that Jesus is doing. This is something he's doing, and we get to join with him in the greatest work, the saving of the souls of mankind from separation from God, from brokenness, from judgments. We get to join with Jesus Christ and be with him and experience intimate fellowship with him as he's doing what is on his heart And that is to save people and to reconcile people to himself. Okay, so let's just um, talk for a moment about where where we're at as the capital C church. So this is not just awaken, but the church of Jesus Christ in our culture, in our country. Where's our readiness for this task of the Great Commission? Are we ready to go? Are we chomping at the bit? Or perhaps, are there some foundational things that cause us to to struggle to say, yes, absolutely yes, I want to be part of this work of the Great Commission? So first off, I, I want to just define the word evangelism. This is a that's, word that's used oftentimes, and, and sometimes we use words, and one person's talking about one thing, and another person's talking about another thing, and it could be helpful just to define them. And so... I really like this definition, this very simple definition of evangelism, that um, it is teaching the gospel, that is the good news that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, with the aim to persuade. It doesn't mean that persuasion actually happens, but with a desire to persuade someone to believe in the gospel and to, to leave a worldview um, beliefs and choices that are directly opposed to the gospel. So, in other words, as we are, as believers, if you know Jesus tonight, we're encouraging one another, we're taking communion, we're remembering the gospel. That's, we're preaching the gospel to one another, but it's, not, it's different than evangelism. Or if you've been to Awaken more than a handful of times, you've probably heard this idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves. And how crucial that is day in and day out to remind ourselves of the gospel truths of who we are in Christ, of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But that's not, that's not evangelism. When we're, it's a very, very important, but it's not evangelism. Evangelism is when we're talking with someone who does not have a relationship with Christ with the aim to persuade them to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God has indeed raised him from the dead. Okay, so... With that in mind, uh, can we put up the next image here? Some of you have heard of the Barna Group. They do some excellent studies, very, very in-depth studies. What are Christians thinking and doing in the West today? So this is a poll uh, recently released by the Barna Group uh, among practicing Christians and they've got their criteria of, of what it means to be a practicing Christian, someone that their faith in Jesus is very important to them. They attend church regularly. They've, they've been to church in the last month. There's a, a handful of, of things that qualify someone to be a practicing Christian. So most of these questions that people would either uh, strongly agree with or somewhat agree or disagree are fairly consistent between the generations. You've got the millennials there on the left. I, I'm the, like, cutoff. I'm about the oldest millennial that you could possibly be. If I was, if I think if I was six months older, I wouldn't be drinking uh, coffee out of a Chemex. Um, yeah, I could go on. I won't, though. I'm a millennial, baby. Uh, then you've got your Gen, gen Xers, your uh, MTV, the first MTV generation. Um and then the boomers and then elders to the, to the right there, the yellow circles. And for the first few questions, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. When someone raises questions about faith, I, I know how to respond. Like I feel competent in responding. You see fairly similar responses among the generations. There's nothing too striking or alarming. Millennials maybe agree on a slightly lower percentage basis let's go to the next slide though these last two questions are where the difference is striking and this has been very alarming for many in the church uh, when this study was released so that second to last question it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they one day <clears throat> that they will one day share the same faith this is the work of evangelism Communicating, teaching the gospel, with the aim to persuade. Forty-seven percent of millennials agree with the, the idea that it is wrong. Evangelism, essentially, evangelism is morally wrong. This is practicing Christians. Uh, go back to that slide, please. Oh, okay. Well, that's unacceptable. Um, (Laughter) I find that hard to believe. I think you're just trying to throw me off. Brandon, you've got lots of reasons to be mad at me, I think. Um, Okay, so the next question, if someone disagrees with you, it means that they're judging you. 40% of millennials agree with this assertion that if someone disagrees with you, it means that they are judging you. Man, it's hard to have productive conversations when we have that vantage point. It's very, very hard. And it's certainly hard to be confident in proclaiming and teaching the gospel that Jesus died with the aim to persuade people that God loves them, that he has a plan for them, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is the way to be reconciled to God. So with this in view, let's talk... For a few minutes. Uh, and, and I'll say, tonight's message is it's, it's pretty different than a typical message on Sunday night. We're not going through one passage. It's a bit more equipping in terms of the groundwork for the gospel, for communicating the gospel, for the work of evangelism. Behind the scenes, what foundation needs to be there, both in the way that we think individually and in the way we're able to initiate with others? So this is kind of the, ground, the groundwork message. I hope you can stick with me because I think these things will be really helpful, especially as we get into the subsequent weeks. Okay, so here, here are some things that I would consider prereqs for effective evangelism. Number one, a belief that evangelism is a moral good, that it's a good thing to persuade people, to try and convince people and persuade people that Jesus Christ died for them and rose from the dead and wants them to be reconciled to God through himself. That this is a good thing. Evangelism, man, it's hard. Evangelism is hard. Seeing God uh, break your heart for someone, seeing them reject him, being criticized. I don't, this is gonna be very surprising to many of you. Very surprising. Maybe anyone who knows me. I don't personally like to be super weird. I, I, it wasn't my dream growing up to just be a very weird guy, that guy who goes out in public and preaches the gospel, something like that. That, that was not my dream by any stretch of the imagination. I wanted to be cool. I guess this was the path of least resistance for me. Um, anyways, though, it's hard. Evangelism is really difficult. And there is no way, brothers and sisters, that we are going to do the work of evangelism and do the work of the Great Commission if we don't firmly believe that it is good, that it's a good thing, that it's a beautiful thing to, to per, try and persuade others the truth of Jesus Christ, prayerfully doing that. Uh, number two, a belief that, I, I think this is a prereq, a belief that evangelism is not inherently judgmental. That it is okay to disagree with the truth claims of others and try and convince them of what, what you believe of the gospel. Solid, objective, grounded truth. The truth of the gospel. Um, I think it's important to make a distinction between judgment and judge, judgmental. And this is something I think culturally we struggle with. Judgment being just very simple, um, the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. This is something we ought to do on a regular basis, certainly with the most important decisions that one would make about their their own worldview, to exercise judgment, to make considered decisions um, and come to well-thought-out conclusions now, there's a, dis, there's a difference between judgment and, and being judgmental. Judgmental is having or displaying an excessively critical point of view. Being really critical of another person. And this is certainly not evangelism. Judge, being judgmental, it can be considered synonymous with hypocrisy. To think, I'm, I believe something different than you, therefore I am, I am better than you if that is your diving board to evangelism, it's not going to work. God's God's not going to bless that. And we've got to take a step back and say, I am sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know the love of God. And I know I don't deserve God's grace. But I know he loves these other folks as well. He loves these people that he's put in my life. He loves these people I'm walking by who are sitting over here in the park, or who I've known for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years that are in my family. He loves me, he died for me, he loves them, and he died for them. So we've got to understand the difference between just making a judgment and being judgmental. And I think we've got to understand that evangelism is not inherently judgmental, although someone could certainly do it in a judgmental way, and we must not be those people. Number three, Uh, Obedience with hope, faithfulness required, fruitfulness desired. We cannot base our evangelism on fruitfulness. All right, I'm going to do this if just people are dropping like flies. They're coming to Jesus left and right. That may not happen. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but that may not happen in your walk with Christ. I certainly hope that it does. But we've got to be obedient to the gospel, because this is what Jesus has commanded, this is the work that he's called us to, that he's invited us into, it matters, and he loves loves the world. We cannot base our obedience on fruitfulness, especially, especially in a culture like ours that some would consider almost post-Christian. The ground is sometimes very hard, sometimes not, but it oftentimes feels very, very hard. And if you're basing your obedience to the Great Commission on fruitfulness, you're likely to give up very quickly. Okay, um, number four, and this is um, very simple and foundational, but we cannot forget it. We've got to actually love people to really love them. If we want to be obedient to the Great Commission, we got to love people because they're made in the image of God And every single person that you see, every single person in your family, every single friend, close friend, or acquaintance that you have is a person for whom Jesus Christ has died. He loves them. He made them, and so we love them. Now, if I love someone, if I legitimately love another human being, I've got to think about them. To love anyone means... I've got to break out of my own inner monologue that is just Kimball, 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 Kimball. That's just what I say to myself all day. No, I've got to break out of that. And I have to think about other human beings whom God created. I've got to think about their needs. I've got to put myself in their shoes. I've got to think their thoughts. And I've got to see them. I've got to really see them. And I I do kind of mean that, literally. Think of a place you've been recently where everyone in the room is just like this. No one's looking up. For you students, how many of your fellow students come to class, think of a big lecture hall, just ready to engage with someone, just ready to talk to someone, looking for, okay, who can I, man, who can I show the love of Jesus to today? Or who can I talk? That's not really happening. I literally remember. I remember where I was standing. I remember the sights and the smells four years ago when I was at the Ohio Union. And I saw someone not on their phone. I saw someone just sitting there. They were just sitting there kind of looking around, just waiting for someone to come talk to them. And I dropped what I was doing. I'm like, I am talking to this guy. This never, ever, ever happens. It's the last time it's happened. This was years ago. <laughs> I'm, you think I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. To love people, we've got to see them. We've got to get off our phones. We've got to look around. And uh, just relax for a second and not have our minds and our lives be so, so busy and consumed by worry and consumed by entertainment. Um, right, I'm going to skip the rest of these because I want to move forward into some other things do you know the story of Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 I want to encourage you to read this I was planning on reading it tonight um, but and I will actually I just really—I I gotta read it. John chapter four. We'll read the first uh, twenty-six verses here. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, just a little bit of context here. Jews and Samaritans despised each other. Jews particularly despised Samaritans and saw them as traitors, as half breeds, as evil, as idol worshipers. They would walk around Samaria at great personal cost and inconvenience so they would not have to engage with one single Samaritan. They were so disgusted by them. Well, Jesus, you know, Jesus, he's not doing that, he's not buying into that. He walks right through Samaria, and the second thing to know is that it's very, very unusual for a man to engage with a woman, and the Samaritan woman was taken aback, as we see here, so he he asks her. He sees her in the, the heat of the day by herself, likely an outcast. Well, we know she was an outcast by the rest of the story, and he asks her this question. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And later we see that this woman responded. Her life was transformed. She became a follower of Jesus Christ and made a tremendous impact as this lonely outcast woman in her community. Right away, really right away uh, when she decided to believe Jesus as Messiah. Jesus does some things so brilliantly in this story. He engages the Samaritan woman intellectually and emotionally through asking simple leading questions and speaking the truth in love. He leads the conversation towards his identity as Messiah. This is what we see Jesus doing in this story. He starts with just a very simple question. Will you give me some water? Keep in mind, Jesus was weary. He was tired. He was feeling it. He'd been through a lot. And in this moment of weariness, he engaged with this broken woman. Now, I believe we can do likewise, that we can engage people. We can follow the example and the model of Jesus Christ. And we can speak the truth in love, engaging people with simple questions, and leading them towards the truth of Jesus as Messiah. I believe we can do that. I truly do. And I hope that we all, uh, over the next few weeks, will be better equipped to follow the example of Jesus Christ. So how can we do this? How can we do likewise? Likewise. If we want to be effective in evangelism, it is paramount to learn how to ask questions, to engage people by asking questions, sincere questions, questions that we mean, questions that we want an answer to, questions that we're not just listening to someone talk, waiting for our turn, just waiting for them to stop talking so we can take our turn. How many conversations have you been in with someone where you feel that's what they're doing? How many conversations have people been in with you where they feel that's what you're doing, just waiting for your turn to talk? Sincere and tactical questions. Okay, so I've got just four areas of, of questions here that I wanna go through briefly, and we'll hit on these more in future weeks, but I'm, I'm wanting to kind of whet your appetite um, on some of these questions. And these, these are things that I practice regularly. They've been very, very helpful for me in all kinds of different settings. Um, Okay. Number one, just icebreaker questions. Having a a gospel-oriented conversation, the hardest part by far is just getting it started, just opening up the door. It's it's, it's very intimidating to have a gospel conversation with your, your parent who doesn't know Christ or your sibling or your barber or your classmate or your friend. It's very, very intimidating. It can be that way, at least. But it's it's helpful to have some icebreaker-type questions. For example, do you have any spiritual beliefs? There are a lot of questions, where a lot of contexts where you can ask this question. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? What are your spiritual beliefs? Now, it might be a little weird to just ask that question out of the blue. You know, you're talking about the Buckeyes. uh, You're talking about the weather. Oh, yeah, 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 it's pretty warm today. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Um. That might be a little strange, and I would encourage you to find another way. However, however, I will say, I would much rather be a person who tries to engage people with the gospel in a tactless way than a person who stays silent. It may take you a while to learn tact. Some of you have no hope some of you, tactless people, and I'm not encouraging that, can still share the gospel and can love people like crazy. So I would rather be the person who just drops the bomb and it has bad transitions and conversations. With that said, there, I like to ask people questions that I want them to ask me. Now, I've got the pastor card. I can pull that card. I just ask someone, what do you do for a living?" And then eventually they'll ask me, I'm a pastor. Um, And then you'd be amazed at the questions that people fire off, you know, right right, uh, from Jump Street when you tell them you're a pastor. So start telling people you're a pastor. (laughs) Um, No, before I was a pastor, I I would ask questions. It's a little easier now, but I would still ask people questions that I wanted them to ask me. Like, for example what'd you do this weekend, you know? And I'm listening and engaging and caring about their lives and asking follow-up questions. And, and oftentimes, you don't even need to go down the road that I'm describing because the, just things come up in conversation when you're really engaging with someone. But I might ask someone, what are you doing this weekend? And they, they might ask me back, what, what are you doing this weekend or what did you do this weekend? And you know what I would say tomorrow? I would say, man, the highlight of my weekends, I, uh, I, I go to uh, this church called Awaken, and we had a baptism on Sunday night, and it was just so awesome. It was an amazing experience seeing that happen. And it's something that oftentimes Christians don't think to do, but if you're engaging with other believers, you're walking out, your life for Christ, there are going to be things that you can talk about, that you can bring up. And there are, there are ways to do it tactfully, I believe. And uh, I would encourage you just to, to start thinking and talking that way and see if God would open up a door for gospel conversations. If you're thinking that way, if you're, you're praying for opportunities, God will give them to you and he'll bless you. Okay, so um, icebreaker questions. My classic example question that I use all the time is do you have any spiritual beliefs? And then the floodgates are open. Um, the, the second area of questions here are tactical questions. There's two questions That I use all the time that have been so helpful to me. There's a book by a guy named Greg Kokel called Tactics. I know some of you have read it. It's a wonderful book. Even if you just read the first few chapters, uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it. it. It helps us learn how to think and engage with people and ask good, meaningful questions. So here are the two questions. What do you mean by that? And then how did you come to that conclusion? So we're asking for clarity. Someone might say, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Well, I believe that everything is spiritual and, and we're all part of God and, and you know, whatever they may say. Oh, the, what do you mean by that? Tell me more about that. Um, ask for clarity. Sometimes, actually more than sometimes, oftentimes as someone is clarifying their own worldview, they've, they've never done it before. They've just never been asked a question like that. They've never really thought about it. You'd be shocked how often people repeat slogans. They heard one person in a YouTube video say this thing 15 years ago, and it's become their uh, narrative, you know, what they throw out when asked about or thinking about deep things or spiritual things. But sometimes just asking for clarity as they're talking, they, uh, an individual oftentimes realizes... Well, you know, I guess I don't exactly believe that. Maybe I kind of think this. Or, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, and then the second question, it, in, a, in a, I believe, a kind, graceful way, as long as we ask it in a kind, graceful way, it puts the burden of proof on them for the claims that they're making. How did you come to that conclusion? I believe everything is spiritual. I believe everything in the world is a part of God. You may ask for some clarity. What do you you mean by that? Tell me more about that. And then with every truth claim that is made, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you believe that? And you can ask that question in a lot of different ways. You might say, well, why do you believe that and not this? Why do you believe that and uh, not the Christian truth claims? That God's the creator of the universe, and the universe is separate from, separate from a, a personal God. Um, the third area here, heart questions. And this is certainly what we see Jesus doing through some of his explicit and kind of implicit questions that aren't technically questions, but really are questions, um, to the woman at the well in John 4. With hard questions, we can help people to identify emotional ob- obstacles to the gospel. Have you had a past experience that's made it difficult for you to believe in Jesus? Have you been hurt by the church? I will oftentimes ask people you know we 're in an, uh, a serious conversation talking about uh, talking about the gospel, talking about spiritual things, uh, and they, they've said, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't believe in Christianity. I don't believe the Christian truth claims. And I'll, I'll ask this question. This is a different way of asking this question. Are your objections to Christianity more intellectual or more emotional? Is it is important to, to, to identify and prayerfully and lovingly identify where someone's at. What is stopping them from putting their trust in Christ? It may not be an intellectual question. They may believe in the resurrection. They may believe in God. It may be an emotional issue. Why would God allow this thing to happen in my life? I I just don't like this verse or this teaching in Scripture that I've heard. I just don't like it or this caricature of Christians or this real-life example of how I've been treated by supposed followers of Christ. I just don't like it. And it's an, it's an obstacle in my life asking deep questions. Don't be afraid to engage with people. The idea of evangelism is culturally offensive. It is. It is not it is frowned upon in our culture, in our city, in our country. But I will say this, as I personally have engaged with people in the work of the gospel over years and years, very few times. Now, many times people have been offended by the truth of the gospel in a way that they're not going to respond to it. But very, very few times out of hundreds and hundreds of examples has someone been personally offended. Personally, I mean, I've offended you guys a lot more than I've offended people outside of the church who don't know Christ and communicating the gospel. Very rarely has someone been offended By lovingly and kindly and graciously asking questions, challenging their worldview, trying to see, well, where are you at? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? Um, And when we can get to the heart of a a person, it becomes very easy to communicate the gospel. Um, And the the last thing, and then we'll, we'll close here after I share this, asking invitational questions. Questions to just help take the next step so that you really can communicate the gospel and so that, that God could open up the door for this person to hear the gospel. So question I often ask, has anyone ever explained to you the core message of Jesus? I mean, I'm not gonna use words like the gospel, evangelism, things like this. These are just not words that are relevant in a conversation with someone who doesn't know Christ. Try and speak in such a way that those you're, you're with can understand what you're saying. Do you know the core message of Jesus? Has anyone ever explained it to you? Yeah, they have. I'd be interested. What, what is that? Could you tell me what, you know, your understanding of the core message of Jesus is? Well, I, I think it's just if you are a good person and you do the right thing, then everything's good. Everything's, everything's golden and you'll go to heaven. That's the core message of Jesus. That's really interesting. Um, can you tell me more about that? <laughs> or what are you basing that on? Why do, you, why do you believe that that's the core message of Jesus? But I'll often say with that, because this is a question that comes up very often. You know, uh, Billy, <clears throat> I, I only communicate the gospel to people named Billy. That's, that's my thing. That's my spiritual gift. <laughs> Billy, I certainly don't mean to offend by this. And by the way, if you say I don't mean to offend by this, even in your marriages, I mean, really, you can get away with anything. No offense, but you're just horrible. (laughs) Um, I don't mean to offend by this, but I, a number of years ago, would have communicated the core message of Jesus just in the way that you did. Be a good person. Do the right thing. And... Everything's going to be all right in the end. Not only did I discover when I read the New Testament and I had some, some Christians explain the core message of Jesus to me for the first time. Not only did I, I realize that that's not the core message of Jesus, in some ways, it's the exact opposite. The core message of Jesus is radically different than what you just said. And I'll say things like that. Uh, And it can really generate some some interesting conversations and open the door for, really? I mean, most of the time, if I'm at that point in conversation with someone, um, okay, well, what is the core message of Jesus? And it's an open door to explain the gospel. That's what we're gonna talk about next week, how to communicate the gospel with clarity. And we've been working on a a tool here. Let's let's show that. AwakenColumbus.com slash the gospel that you can use on your phones or on the computer or whatever. We're going to print some little booklets at some point here. And this goes through the gospel story from creation. Now, remember how we're defining the gospel, but there's also these implications, the front-end implications, the the background knowledge that's really helpful to understand for the gospel to make any sense. Creation, sin, promise of the Messiah, Jesus' life and his death and resurrection. And then a call to respond. And so next week, we're gonna talk about how how you can use this tool. And there's many great tools out there, but we felt this is gonna be really helpful for us as a church to have one tool that we talk about, that we emphasize, that we train on to where we understand as a church how to communicate the gospel. And we feel confident that whether we're a preacher or an introvert, we can communicate the gospel with clarity by just simply going through the scripture and saying, what, what do you think this says? What, is this, what does this mean? Um, that's next week. Uh, be here. It'd be a great opportunity also to bring someone. Because as we go through, as we work on it, as we get clarity on how to communicate the gospel, uh, we're going to be hearing the gospel as well. So it'd be a good opportunity next week for you to bring a friend and, and invite someone along with you. Um, let's pray here. And then we're going to sing a song. We've got a baptism. I know we're running a, a tad bit late, um, but not too, too late. Lord, I pray that you would help us to engage people with sincere questions, Lord, to take risks, to to really um, see people and love people in such a way that we cannot stay silent with the gospel message. Lord, I pray for every person in here tonight, you'd help us just to ask a good question to someone this week and to really care about the answer to see someone in our classes, in our workplace, to see them, to pray for them. Give us your heart for people, Lord. Give us your heart for people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.